Hey, welcome back, friends, and thanks for downloading this episode of How to Wow with British Vogue Editor-in-Chief and European Editorial Director of Vogue, the amazing Edward Enninfull. Edward is the first black editor of British Vogue. The 2nd of August marked his fifth year at the publication, but his story, oh my goodness me, his story's off the chain. His memoir, A Visible Man, is out now and tells his amazing tale from working-class 13-year-old immigrant outsider to the apex of the global fashion industry. But first... Every morning, Tash, my wife and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoop ball of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion. Deep seaweed green like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six, okay, ten tops, to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow. Okay, and don't forget slash howtowow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given howtowow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic Greens.com slash don't forget how to wow. Okay, thank you, AG1. Now let's cue 30 minutes of solid gold from the aforementioned Edward Enninful. Congratulations on the book and an thank amazing you. life. Thank you. Thus far. Um, have you, my first question is: have you been to Anna Winter's house on Long Island? I have actually. Of course you have. <laughs> for, for people who don't know, who is she? Uh, what is her legend? Why is she so good at her job? Anna is, you know, a legendary editor. She's opened the door for so many. She's championed the fashion industry from great heights. And, yeah, well, you know, she, she opened the door for me. She employed me at US Vogue in 2004, and that sort of really helped me get to where I am today. Okay, and i got to tell you, because I your your book, it just got all my juices flowing in all the right places. So oh, thank you. Last night whilst I'm finishing the book, um, my wife logs on uh, on our laptop and watches that amazing documentary, The September Issue. Yes, yes. And you're in that quite a lot. That was shot in 2007. Yes, I was a young editor then. Yeah, yes. so tell us about that time and tell us about that documentary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd, 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 let, I'd left London. I got a call from... Anna's office to come and work for American Vogue, where I worked for seven years. But I was like a fish out of water. You know, I've been in London, you know, a cool stylist, and there I was at this institution of Americanness, so to say. And it was very, very different. You know, everything had to be approved. You know, you shoot a story, a fashion story, and you thought it was in the magazine, and next minute it'll be in the bin. So I was just <laughs> to make sense of everything in that in that film. And what's great for me about it was uh, I did. I know I did before I watched the documentary and read your book um, that the September issue is such a big deal. Mm. And of course, here we are, September the 6th. So I yep. pick up a copy of Vogue on the way in today at the, the, the petrol oh, station. fantastic, with Linda Evangelista on the cover. Yeah, and I'm thinking, is it the same for UK Vogue? And it is the same. The September yes. issue is the big deal. Yes. Someone says September is the January of fashion. Yeah. and it's. It, but also, we were talking today off the back of that. You know, for us, for especially parents, September, we think, is the real start of the new year. 
not really January. And no. you obviously feel the same. Why is it so important? Because it's it's sort of the, the beginning of the season, as we call it. You've, you'd have just come from the fashion week, new clothes, new ideas, and advertisers, really, that's the, that's the month they love the most. So yeah. the September issue, yeah, it's our biggest issue of the year. And it takes mm. longer to compile than any other issue, does it? Well, there are more pages generally. Right, okay. You know, you, you have to work twice as hard. And do you take, do you, do you take US Vogue's lead? Do you, do you sort of, because it's all Condé Nast, isn't it? So do you, do you, do you talk to each other about what no, you're going to No, we talk to each other. At the moment, you know, we're, we're a global company. We talk to each other. We share, we share some stories, but every country is still sort of its own thing. Yeah, okay. And um, when you look at now that you have the big job, you are the big dog yourself here in the UK and in Europe, uh, do you wait for Anna's September issue? Do you compare it to yours, what you might have done, what she's done? What oh, she no, might... you know, British women are very different. British women are original. You know, British women are incredible. Women generally are incredible. And I'm, you know, Anna deals with American women who are also amazing. So it's two different points of view. Yeah. You know? uh, when you, you talk in the book about 2017 when you got the call or there were whispers uh, saying that the incumbent, previous incumbent of 20 odd years of British UK Vogue was, was leaving and you may have a chance of getting the job and okay. then you got to pitch yourself to, to the owners of Condé Nast. Um, and what did you do? So first of all, the process began with you looking back through the 100 years odd history of Vogue. Tell, tell us what, tell us how you prepared to, tr to try and bag the big gig that you now have. <laughs> I mean, you know, I went, I went through all the old issues, looked at you know, it's the strengths, the weaknesses, but also I looked around the world we lived in and saw, you know, so many people I, I saw not represented, you know, women of a certain age, you know, women of a certain size, you know, race. And I thought I wanted to create a magazine that reflected Britain today in all its glory. And so, that was that was the thrust that of your was the pitch, pitch yes. wasn't it? Because yes. you felt anyhow that Vogue had been drifting away from Britishness for one reason or another, and it probably didn't know why it just was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a sign of the times, I suppose. But, you know, that's why, you know, I guess I was brought in to, you know, sort of bring a different point of view. So really. you come from Ghana. You land in Britain in Ghana. How old were you? Oh, 13. 13 years old. OK, wet behind the ears. Wet. <laughs> Dripping wet behind the ears. Um, not a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out Nothing. Of, you know, and here we are, 37 years later, and you the a round of applause. You're the editor. Oh, thank the, you. That is so cool. I'm thank so you. pleased and so happy for you because you, you are such an inspiration to everybody, everyone. Oh, Look you, how Chris. far you can go. And it was always thus, wasn't it? So you were always dreaming about fashion. Always you, dreaming. You're surrounded by frocks and your mum, who was a seamstress. Yeah, my mum was amazing. My tell, tell us about all that. I mean, my mum, you know, I grew up, sort of around my mother's knee, as they say, and she was a brilliant seamstress making clothes. But what I learned from my mother was beauty. Women were beautiful, no matter, like going back to say, no matter, no matter what background, what shape, I learned about inclusivity from a very young age. And beauty, my God, my mother was incredible. She passed away a few years ago. She's still here with me. She, um, you, well, you, yeah, you. She's in you. She's speaking yeah. to me right now. Is what she's doing. You know, and she was I a great seamstress, and I really mean that. So she was a seamstress. You know, she had a little company going, didn't yes, she? Yes. So tell us about that. Yeah, she had a company in Ghana, sort of forty girls. You know, an atelier, just really making incredible clothes for ministers' wives and, and designing head of them as well. Wives. Pardon me, designing them as well. Yeah, designing, sewing, and she was just incredible. When I look at a lot of designers now, she would have really made it had she been born in 
England at the right time, etc., etc. Yeah. But, you know. Well, you've carried that torch for her oh. in so many ways. I mean, so, what you do and how you've done it. People, you've got to read this book, people. It is so amazing. It's <laughs> Edward Enninfall's A Visible Man. It's such a fantastic book. I oh, love yeah. this story. So not only were you sort of immersed in your mum's world of fashion and women yeah. and colour and, you know, op, you know uh, uh, possibilities, but then you yeah. go to your auntie's salon. Oh, my God, and Dolly Dots. And here we go again. Yeah. I got to my auntie's salon. She was a great hairdresser. And I looked around and I saw magazines for the first time. And I remember the American magazines like Ebony and Jet. Nobody, nobody knows that now. And Time magazine. And a whole world opened up for me, a whole portal. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even know what fashion was. I didn't know what glamour was, but it was incredible. I was hooked from a yeah, young age. Yeah, okay. So, so that's, that's where... That's that's one of the reasons you're here, where you are now. Now, your dad, as you write about very candidly in your book, you had your fallouts, he chucked you out twice for various different reasons. But without him, you wouldn't be here either. Exactly. So tell us about that. Yeah, bit. I mean, you know, my dad was a military man. He was sort of, you know, very authoritative. He was very, you know, precise. And he was tough on the boys. And I was so gentle and so soft, I didn't really understand him. But now, after my mother passed... We've sort of developed such a great relationship. I was always so scared of him. You know, I'd be drawing little sketches and he'll walk in and I'd just toss them away because, yeah. you know, boys weren't supposed to do that in Ghana. But now, you know, he's so soft now. He's, how old is my dad now? He's like 85 or something. Yeah. And very sweet. So we kind of, you know, made up. So he took you out a couple of times. Um, what, were you, what did you want to do? Because you were spotted um, by uh, a potential agent to be a model. Yeah, Simon uh, Foxen, yeah. That's how it all began. What did you want to do when you arrived at the age of 13? I mean, I, I was programmed to be a lawyer. You know, when you come from an African family, they didn't know what the media was. Yeah. So you're either a lawyer or a doctor. That was it. So that was what I was programmed to do. And then I was spotted on a train and discovered this world of fashion London, and I was hooked. That so was what it. happened in that exchange on the train? Well, this, he was staring at me, Simon, and I, and I really didn't know why. I didn't think I was by good-looking by any stretch. I was so skinny, you know. And he came up, gave me his card, and told me he was, you know, an editor, one of the biggest editors in um, London. And I remember going home, giving the card to my mom, and my mom was like, you are not going into that industry. <laughs> and, you know, 16-year-old, I wore her down, I remember, every day. And then um, I was stopped a few weeks later by a model agent again, and then this time she gave in and I called. Wonder, so that's, that's not a coincidence it happened twice on the bounce. You must uh, have yeah, had something so. going on, wasn't you? And, so, yeah, here so, I am. So you were 16 then. Yes. You're the same age as Kate Moss, your very, very good friend. Yes. And so two years prior to that, the same thing happened to her, but on a plane. Yes, on the yeah, GFK. Yeah, right? tell people that story if you, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, I think, you know, Kate and I have known each other forever. She was discovered at GFK. And I remember I go to what we call castings. It's when, you know, when you go to a casting with your portfolio and the client looks through it and says um, you, whether you've got the job or not. And it was this amazing job for Pepe Jeans. And I, was, I wanted that job so badly. And in walks this girl, 14 years old, like literally lit up the room, scraggly beauty, and it was Kate Moss. And she got that job. And to this day, I'm still bitter about it. <laughs> but you are like Bessie. So, you know, when I first read about you, I thought obviously they need, they, he's come to know her via, you know, his, his uh, sort of more senior years in the fashion no, industry. We were kids but it's together. not, I know, exactly. Yeah. And the same with Naomi Campbell. Yeah, Naomi too. Naomi in the early 90s when I, I kept seeing her in, you know, 
shows and magazines and I thought I really need to get her for the cover of ID you know at the moment ID wasn't we didn't have any money so I hustled to Paris shot her for the cover and then that was the beginning of a 30 whatever year friendship so who else was in the gang you, ha- you have Kate Moss you have Naomi but Campbell myself there was a makeup artist Pat. really feel called Pat McGrath yeah. who really is an incredible sort of human being and really it was the three of us we were the sort of the only people of colour in the industry at the time to be right. honest and okay. we sort of Sort of, you know, helped each other up, and you know, how was was it? Was it tough? Was it exciting? Was trailblazing? Did did it take bravery, or was it fearlessness, or was it was it? Did you not see it like that? I mean, it was just naivety, really. It was like I've been given this job, just go survive. It was called survival, really. And what's great is you went in as a model, and yeah. then you quickly, very quickly became a stylist. Yes, you got to style people. What does that mean to to the rest of a us? A stylist is somebody who you know dresses people for the pages of the magazine so you you get the clothes but you also create the character what is she going to look like what's the hair going to look like what's the makeup going to look like so you're really like a creative director more so I I progressed onto that and I did that for my god up until five years ago to be honest so Kate was asked about you know what is the dream shoot and she says Kate Moss she says the dream shoot is all about the dream team the dream team the best team (laughs) you know and then models feel really comfortable they trust you and, you know, you think of the, the, the woman at the end who's going to be looking at the end result. For me, that's very important, not to lose sight of the reader. Uh, Voyage of Discovery, uh, your sexuality. Yes. You talk about that in the book. You talk about everything in the book. Everything. You know, I mean, everything you know, in the book. I mean, for me, the book was really for people who are suffering, you know, whether it's, whether it's with imposter syndrome, whether it's with, you know, alcoholism, whether it's with the careers. I just really wanted to address that, as well as celebrating, you know, you Women. Had, you had an epiphany to do with um, with alcohol, didn't you? So yeah. you I this... mean, in my 20s, yeah. I was out in London and I realised at the age of 30 that I needed to get my life together. But because I'd started so young, at 18, by the time I was 30, I'd lived the life of a 50-year-old. Yeah, and you had a nice flat. You had, you had... <laughs> uh, yes, I had everything. And I really wanted to get my life into shape and my life into order. So I decided to stop drinking and, and you know, thank God for that. Yeah, really. and, and uh, I, I haven't met many people who um, didn't have a drink for 14 years, but then they said, I think I'll, I'll be all right with tequila. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I was just like, I'd been sober for so long. I thought, well, you know, I wanted to try drinking occasionally and it hasn't affected me in any way but you you cut you know you you have an infinite and an unpayable debt of gratitude to alcoholics anonymous don't oh you? my god it, it really saved it taught me about you know getting my life together a spiritual side but it also taught me about sort of everybody being equal level yeah you know i wasn't better than anybody and nobody was better than me and that you know, really stays with me every day. Even as an editor of Vogue, it's just a title. Yeah, you know, I'm a human being. Of course, first <laughs> and foremost. And um, the thing about AA is, you, you know, it's all about higher power, isn't it? And once you surrender yeah. to that, you take the pressure off yourself. Yes. And it's not a sort of, it's it's not one um, sort of denying one's uh, responsibilities. It's just different to that, isn't it? It's more, it's by, they say that sometimes uh, in order to retain power, you have to give it away. You have to give it away. And that's what that does, isn't yes. it? That process. Yeah, and it levels the field, you know. I remember I'll be doing service, as it's called services, when you sort of make tea, coffee, with homeless people and you're on the same level. You know, you're just Edward. Nobody gives a damn who you are. <laughs> that's it. 
So uh, you had this this great job at ID. In the end, you got you know it was funny because you're hanging around ID. I same I used to hang around radio stations. You, you didn't care if you're getting paid as long as you didn't could, care. Oh, you you, you know it, the experience was worth its weight in gold, wasn't I, it? I couldn't sleep. I couldn't wait to go work for free. Me too. And me too. So you so it's it's ID was massive at the time. The yes. Face magazine was massive yes. at the time. Uh, just tell us about that. Period. Yeah, it was a great period. I mean, we had ID in the face. I was the fashion director for ID. It was a great time. It was a lot of young people. We talked about Kate already, Naomi, photographers like Corinne Day, David Simpson. We didn't want to be the 80s. We wanted to create our own realities for the 90s. And they called it grunge. You know, we shot in flats, you know, dirty flats, dirty beaches. But that was our reality. And the yeah. whole world latched onto it. And yeah, that, that, you know, Kurt Cobain was doing grunge in... In Seattle, and fashion and music collided beautifully. Happy Mondays, Primal Scream, you know, it was all, it was what we call the big flat. Fashion, music, art, hand in hand. Summer of Love as well, 1990. Oh, I, love the, I love the Summer, summer of, of Love. Summer of Love, oh my yeah. goodness me. Right, was, it, was, it, was it just an amazing time to, it, to cause it, cause they say don't mix business with pleasure, but to be honest, you could not, could you? That's all we did. One and the same. <laughs> That's it. We partied together. We worked together. And we were so, so happy to be together. Yeah. And we were all, like you said, penniless. So we just had big dreams. Yeah. And we just shared those dreams. We talked about fashion every day. And it was incredible. One of those times you can never recreate, you know, yeah. youth. It's so funny, isn't it? Because you're having the life that billionaires want but can't even buy, yet you can't afford at the same time. <laughs> so there's that great story you tell about Naomi when she was going out with Adam Clayton. Yes. And she says, oh, Adam says, oh, you got to come and stay with us for a while. And you thought, well, if I had the, if I had the money for the airfare, I might try and do that. I had like 50 quid in my pocket. <laughs> and it and wasn't even yours. So <laughs> like, you. Let's go, you know. I was so broke. I was working for ID. She was a supermodel. She's like, let's go to Dublin. And I'm like, yeah. oh, not, not, not this time. Yeah, yeah. Next time. Knowing I had no money in my pocket even to get home. So, yeah. So that's you, Naomi all over. So you grow up with Naomi. You grow up with Kate. You grow up with your mates. You can have the dream team. But, you know, still, uh, there are world stars that then become your friends, like Madonna, for example. Yes. You know, what is it? what was it like when you first realised, you know, these are, I mean, because some people think, you know, other people in show business are their friends and they're not because then they move on and they don't realize that they're not necessarily being used, but they're part of this kind of journey. But these people now really genuinely are your friends. Yeah. And, you know, from the sounds of it, you're a very good friend, um, yeah. you know, and great friends, really good friends are hard oh, to find. But when you. you find them, you should never let them go. So w was there a moment when you were in a room, because you talk about various parties that you held and who's yeah. there? Yeah. Was there a moment when you thought, blimey, this is this really is my life? Oh, I still have that today. <laughs> I still have that today. That little boy from from Ghana who arrived, penniless, sharing rooms. I still have those moments, and I think that's what keeps me who I am. That's what really keeps my feet on the ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you can never lose those moments. What was the when was the first time you, you thought you experienced that, and you thought this is this is. I mean, when I was in New York, I was working for Calvin Klein. Right. When they flew us over, Kate was now a full supermodel. It was late 90s. And I saw, I worked for Calvin. And one day I went to Times Square and saw a billboard and with my work. And I just thought, wow. In Times Square. Who would Square. have thought? 
Bada bada bing. You know, who um, would have thought? Uh, were you d- were receiving decent paychecks at the time? Was Carvin? Oh, no, yeah, it was okay. You're on the way. You're on the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, had, I was penniless before that. That's what I'm so saying. Anything was a plus. Okay. Because yeah. your story, I mean, because Kate has a very similar Carvin Klein story to yours, because yeah. it was at the same time. Yes. Um, you know, it's very important in her career. Um, where do we go to next? We talk about W. Uh, I, th- I suppose, because we took, you know, we're coming up on time, but I suppose you better cut to the chase. I mean, there's the OBE, there's all that going, there's the palace. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Yeah, and as king of the guest list, you know, the palace say, well, you can only ever have a plus one, but you managed to squeeze extras in. <laughs> extras, Naomi, my sister, my father, my in-laws, but, you know, it, yeah. was, it was such a wonderful day. Oh, really. Of course it was. It was an amazing day. And uh, Naomi booked a lunch or something. Yeah, she booked lunch. Uh, a roast. Um, Claridge's, a Claridge's. roast. And we spent the whole afternoon really figuring out what she was going to wear that night. Unbelievable. But Naomi had this way. <laughs> she ropes you into things without you even realising. Yeah. You know? she, she is a formidable human being. She's incredible. I've met her a couple of times. Yeah. You know, I've, I've sort of, I went to her house once for dinner when she was going out with a certain person. Yeah. And she is, just, there's nobody like, well, I've never met anybody there's like nobody her. There's nobody like her. Yeah. When we did, when we did, uh, um, the black issue for Italian Vogue, the title was There's Only One Naomi. You, yeah. you know, you can't make her up. And she's so generous. I mean, the press always paint her however they want to paint her, but she's very loyal to her friends and her family. Yeah, she's press proof. You know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think Kate Moss is press proof as well. Do you know what I mean? Because they can, they can catch them doing anything or whatever they think they're yeah, doing. They've been around forever. And they go, so. yeah, yeah, and... What's your point? This is what people. You, there's a real world out there. People do do this stuff. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're just themselves. It's not right. Authentic. But we are press proof. Um, that's, well, uh, you I, are definitely. Well, I think they, those two sort of um, lead the charge on that one. Uh, just very briefly, let's talk about that that special edition of Italian Vogue before we yes. move on to yes. where you are now and where you might be tomorrow. Not to, literally tomorrow, but who knows? Because um, it was very important that. Again, just just speak to that for a second, if you don't mind. Speak to the Italian, the, the yeah. I mean, I remember it was you know, sort of early 2000s, and we went to the, the fashion week and realized there wasn't one black model in any show. Yeah. The closest you got to black was you know, they thought having an East Asian model was really black. And I remember talking to Sam, um, Stephen Mizell, the photographer, that we need to do something, we need to help the black model, we need to, we need to bring her back. So Stephen spoke to Franco Sozzani, who was the editor-in-chief of Italian Vogue at the time, and the Black Issue was born. And it was a brilliant issue, black models, cover to cover, Naomi, Iman, you name it. But I also realised that at that time, I said to myself, if I ever got into a position, I would have women of all sizes, all colours, all races, all religions, in the magazine every month. But so, that that black issue was a game changer, wasn't it? Oh, it was such a game and was changer. Was it an instant hit? Instantly. Right. They had to reprint 40,000 copies, right. which at that time was a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and it shows that, you know, black can sell. All right, so 2017. Yes. Right? You get a whisper that you might be getting this job. Um, you've got a chance. Who were you up against? What did you think your real prospects were of, in percentage terms, of getting the I job mean, you now have? And do so brilliantly, my friend. Oh, thank you. I mean, I thought, you know, there's no way I'm going to get this job. You know, I'm a man. I'm black. I'm gay. I'm, you know, all the, all I've got the it all going I, for me. All the things, really, right? All the things that make you invisible. And I just, you know, all I had was like a body of work and, and you know, and a, and a vision of creating Vogue that little girls could look in and see themselves and talk about issues of the day and really reflect the world, you know, not a Vogue that was stuck up there in another world. And that was it, really. So when 
Where, when did you find out? What time of day was it? What day was it? Where were you? Okay. What oh. did you do? Who were you with? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I was in New York yep. and I got a call from Jonathan Newhouse, uh-huh. who was the chairman of Condé Nast. He asked me to lunch, so I went to lunch. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get this job. But, you know, can, uh, can you just look at this press release for me and help me? Because I'm having problems. I looked at the press release and the press release said, Edward Enninfall is the new editor of British Folk. And I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> so that's how Jonathan presented it to me. <laughs> that's a cool way of doing it, isn't it? It was the best way. And that's I realized a... the press release was prepared and, and then the rest I So what say. did you do next? I literally packed up New York and moved to London with, with my dog and, you know, my part, my, my husband at the moment. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Oh, thank you and so much is, for having me. And isn't it a great story that all the things that could have and did go against you for a time in the end were the things that completely went for you? And that's the lesson. Yeah, and that's also that's why the book is called A Visible Man, yeah. because all those things are supposed to make you invisible and somehow, you know, right. Anna, power through. Um, Anna is in the winter of her um, years. By the way, we are, so am I, so, so I can say that. And by the way, the winters can last forever, I think. And it's when we know most about ourselves and it's when we can be most useful in the right job. But she's not going to be there forever, or unless she becomes the first person to live forever, which she might, by the way. Yes. Um, how do you feel about that gig? I mean, I think, you know, Anna's <laughs> doing a great job. You know, she's she's a very great editor. I'm really happy doing what I do now, which is still working on British Vogue. I'm now in charge of European Vogue. I know, I know. So, you know, I'm really, really happy for, you know, right now. Yeah, but uh, it's funny because in the Richard Coles interview in the Sunday Times, you gave a very similar diplomatic answer. But it's true. Uh, it's I, mean, like, I don't know what other answer to give. No, I know, I know, but I would say you know. But what do I know, Edward? But you know everything. But I now know you a bit more, and it's oh. via your book. And I was so excited to meet you. Um, is there anything you'd like to say? Because we'll put, we'll put this as a pop-up podcast, shall we? Of course we must. So, and that'll be there forever. What would you like to say p- to people forever? Because this will be a podcast and it'll be up there until... Yeah, the I'm like, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're suffering, if you're going through hard times, you know, just realise that, you know, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I came, I came to England penniless and I wasn't, suppo- I wasn't supposed to be here, really. And here I am. And if I can do it... Most people can. Really. Okay, and one fashion tip for us all on this Tuesday. <laughs> what can make any outfit better? A for a bloke, B for a woman. For a woman, a nice a nice piece of jewelry, you know. And for a man, I'll say flat front trousers. All I have all I've won my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so so not far too short. Well, I mean, it's very brave. I mean, that's your style. What can or, I say? Or foolish. Uh, Edward, thank I you wish so. I could get away with short shorts. I'll give it a go. Um, Edward Enninfall, his book, A Visible Man, is out now, and it's one of the most inspirational books I have ever read. So oh. thank you, Edward. Happy Christmas. Thank- Happy Christmas. Thank you, Let's Chris. Let's do that, shall Happy we? Christmas. <laughs> All right, here we still are, and there he goes. The incredible Edward Enninfall. If you like that, don't forget to rate and review this episode because it really helps. And why not dive into the How to Wow archives for more wisdom from the likes of Minnie Driver, Sir Mo Farah and Sir Stephen Fry. Ta-ra. Sorry. Ta-ra.